If I go into the next sonata, it sounds like the continuation of the previous one. Let me just play the end of Opus 90, and I go into 101. That's the exposition. It's even shorter than Opus 90. Two years have passed. This is, we are writing now 1816. And this is really an extraordinary sonata in many ways. It's an experimental sonata. We are back into a four-movement structure. Simultaneously, Beethoven wrote two works for cello and piano, which are under the opus number of 102. The first one in C major, the second in D major. And especially with the first one in C major, there are many, many similarities between the C major cello sonata and this opus 101. Uh, both start with a semi-slow movement, not really a slow movement, but a, a calm, flowing first movement in 6-8 time, followed by a march-like, lively second movement, a slow movement which is not really a separate movement, but as an introduction to the finale, at the end of which movement there is a quotation from the first movement, and then a finale in 2-4 time in both sonatas, which includes a very complex and difficult fugato. So Beethoven, the only time in his life he, he used this model on two different compositions. It has never happened before, and it won't happen again. Um, this first movement, again, is given 
very complex uh, instructions of performance in, in German with uh, their innigste Empfindung. Uh, so, nicht zu, nicht zu geschwind und mit der innigsten Empfindung. Not too fast and with the deepest emotion, deepest feeling. Uh, I don't really know another movement in Beethoven's entire output that is so tender. It's, it's not the heroic Beethoven at all. This is the most loving, tender music. It's very interesting that in an A major piece we never really know what tonality we are in. It starts on the dominant, no? It's in 6-8 time. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now we know we are in A major, but again, question, another question, it's nothing but question marks, uh, and already so early on in the movement, we have reached the dominant, which is our target. The exposition will end, it will be in E major. was the favorite Beethoven sonata of Richard Wagner. And uh, we can see why, because he, he found his idea of, of the infinite melody here. It never really ends. It, it, sometimes it, it needs time to breathe, but it never ends. Mm. motive again like mm, here we are again with the third and the inversion which is very interesting Beethoven puts the three notes under a slur and under that slur there is an even a smaller slur so he he binds two notes together and one is separate so this has to be carefully observed by the player. Now we are firmly in E major. And 
victim disguises the bar line here. You don't know where the, where the bar line is. And that is again something that must have appealed to, to Richard Wagner. Because, uh, the difference is that Wagner admired Beethoven, but Beethoven, I don't know if he admired Wagner. I <laughs> don't know if he would have admired him. Uh, I have my problems with Wagner, but I don't want to, <laughs> to come to that now. But he was a great, great genius, no question about it. But here we are talking about music that is on a different sphere. Now we go to the de development. See the, the deconstruction that the, the phrases get smaller and smaller. And this is what, what I mean. I don't want to compare Beethoven with Wagner, but I would like to see in Wagner this kind of counterpoint. He brings back the recapitulation. He sort of smuggles it in it's with, uh, without any preparation. Let me play this again from this. Um, is dedicated to Dorothea von Erdmann, who was a favorite pupil of Beethoven's and must have been a wonderful pianist herself, according to witnesses. And that's, that explains this tenderness of this movement. Let me just play again the end of this movement. suspended chords against the bar line
chord of nine voices in this very tender movement and goes up to fortissimo on With, with a ritardando on a feminine cadence, and you have again this feeling of heaven and earth. The, on Beethoven's piano at that time, these were the, the highest and the lowest regions. Now comes a very interesting movement. Let's just finish to the first movement. Marschhaft und lebhaft. Very lively and like a march. Uh, there is something reminiscent of Schumann to me in, in this music when we think of. Uh, So in, in Beethoven's String Quartet, Opus 132, uh, there are elements of the march. Now, tonality, the first movement was in A major, and now we are again in third related key. And this, is, this march stands in place of a scherzo in, in other movement. So the first phrase goes from the tonic to the dominant. We are in the C major. Then comes this section will be repeated. Now he makes an eight-bar cadence on the C major. And from C major comes back to F major. Uh, now, what happens? Uh, so, again, from F back to A.
buttons here. We had we have the third related keys, A major, this tonality of the sonata, F major of this movement, and it's quite bizarre. And when he reaches this D flat. Then, the first time he puts down the pedal, and we've spoke about that before. That Beethoven is the first great composer who uses deliberately the pedal, and again he wants a wash of sound, no change of pedal. Swims together. Let me go back a little bit. takes the pedal away and it's pianissimo and very mysterious. Counterpoint and the and the complexity of of this music. It's not a simple little march, but uh, it's it's very intricate indeed. Like this passage of each voice imitates the next one. Five entries you have. One. Suddenly, Beethoven writes piano and dolce. So, even in a very energetic movement, he wants little islands of tenderness. Repeated. It's it's a very exuberant, energetic movement. Then, like in a scherzo and trio, here we have a. Uh, let me finish this march section. In the subdominant key of B flat major, it's like a like a signal of a horn. And 
and the F stays like, like, like a held note on a horn. And now we have a, a trio section which is quite wonderful and unique because it represents two-part counterpoint. And it could be something very dry and very academic. But Beethoven writes several times here, dolce, and he, he achieves a wonderful simplicity and expression. first part. This is not clear in the manuscript because Beethoven forgot one repeat sign here. He also forgot one note. If you go on, <laughs> this is a technicality, but I don't want to bore you with that. Um, so the two voices are in parallel motion first, and then a canon starts. You, I'm probably most of you know what what a cannon is. It's not a military instrument, but... Uh, and then the upper voice starts the cannon, and the lower one imitates a, a bar later. So if you go back to the beginning of the trio, there, then there has to be an F. Okay. But if you go on to the next section, then there has to be an E natural. And this is what Beethoven forgot because he was in a hurry to write it down. simple canon. Now comes something new. So in this trio section is also in an ABA form. So it's like, a, like in Hamlet, you have a theater within the theater. So you have a, an ABA form within the trio. signal and he makes the inversion of that on the this is wonderful how Beethoven brings back the march
again you have the the earth and the skies it's like like an, an army that is approaching from the distance After this comes an extraordinary movement, a sort of a slow introduction. We have seen and heard similar movements in, in the Waldstein Sonata, in the Les Adieux. Intermezzi, they are not really movements, uh, but where he combines the slow movement and the finale. Now this is back to the, to the tonality of A, however not major, but minor. And he uses the una corda instruction. Now, a keyboard instrument, even a modern keyboard instrument, each hammer is attached to three strings. And that was so in Beethoven's time too. But with a with a Verschiebung, a, a, a pedal device, he could press down that pedal, and then the keyboard would would move to the right, and you could use one hammer for one string, or two strings, or all the strings. Unfortunately, our modern piano cannot do that. Big evolution, indeed. <laughs> uh, however, because really this, this una corda sound in, on Beethoven's piano, whether that was a, a Konrad Graf or towards the end of his life he got a magnificent instrument from London, from Broadwood, the sound of this una corda is totally different from, from the tre corde, when you use all the strings. So I asked my piano technician to please to install something that, that when, I, when I play with the soft pedal that it goes really to the extreme because what, what one needs is not something theoretical but a, but a completely different sound. I hope we get there somehow. But this, this A minor movement should be otherworldly. Beethoven says, langsam und sehnsuchtsvoll, slowly and full of yearning. Uh, when you look at this melody, mm, 
whether it's deliberate or not, but Beethoven, Bach's musicalisches Opfer, musical offering. I would think this is quite deliberate because, as I said, Beethoven was studying Bach at, at this time. And, of course, nobody played Bach at that time and the only way to get acquainted with the musical offering would have been at a, at a library. But it's a very important piece and if I transpose this theme in A minor... is there again we have the earth and the heaven the parallel C major. Now starts a dialogue. us very much of the chromatic fantasy of Fugue, of Bach, the, the end of the fantasy. And we are still in una corda. Um, it's very interesting also the, the, the very explicit pedal markings of, of Beethoven. Uh, there is no pedal, only for these two semi-quavers. Again, no pedal, only here. It's very interesting. Here and, uh, and with this chromatic descent, now we are on the dominant of the sonata. And he stays on it. Comes this very dense harmony. We, we feel that we are on the threshold of something important coming. Then there is a fermata and comes a cadenza. Over which Beethoven's Right. Due e poi, poi a poi tre corde. So you, you remove this pedal, the Verschiebung, what is it, the, the, the left pedal, and 
gradually, instead of one string, you have two strings, and in the end, the whole spectrum opens up. This is almost impossible to do on a modern piano, only in, in your imagination. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to disappoint you on that, because for that, one would... And anyway, I do believe that there is a lot to be learned from, from old instruments. They are not just useless gadgets. They are quite wonderful. However, I don't know how Beethoven heard, could have heard this because of his deafness. Uh, so here, he is removing Now you have all the strings and this pedal and comes a quotation. But ends with a short note, with a quaver. And this is a wonderful moment because it's, it's like, a, like déjà vu, déjà entendre. We have heard that before. Uh, fermata another fermata and then he takes just the tail piece of this and then a great flourish and the trill finale, full of exuberance, full of fun and humor. It's a great example of Beethoven's humor, even in his, this very late period. Um, uh, this rhythm we had in but we never had it with this expression. 
already in the first appearance of the theme, we have imitation and counterpoint. And it really sounds like a wake-up call. Wach auf, wake up. Then the voices change roles. Now the lower one starts. Those of you who have been to Tirol and heard the yodel, it's a, a yodel motif, very Austrian. to the ba bass. Then again, like a Bach invention, canonic. Then comes the transition theme. Um, uh, interesting thing because the first beat is missing one and then again for just for two bars Beethoven writes pianissimo and pedal these horn calls he wants it blurred but only that let me play it again one Correction, and then comes something very like like a country dance. Two polyphonic voices, and with a with a contratance accompaniment. Variations and the yup. Cadence, and this closing theme is incredibly funny to me. But it's very, it's a subtle humor, it's not cheap humor. Then comes the development. Choral. Think back of this. Again, there is a connection. Threatening, 
call, yes? Fortissimo. This, this was pianissimo, and then he interrupts that. And now, in place of this development, Beethoven writes a fugue. And it's very, very difficult. I have to practice. Capitulation. So, but even this fugue is not academic, but it has something funny because it's pianissimo, and it's like a like a villain on a stage who is uh, tiptoeing there. This trill is funny because it's a trill with a suffix, and it has no resolution. This would be normal. And it's, it doesn't get a resolution. This is something deliberately comic. And the end of this, this fugue, I don't want to go into details because it's too, too much. And, but the end of it, you get the, in the lower bass, the augmentation. He hammers this out, fortissimo. And again, this is because on this Broadwood instrument, he had this low E at his disposal that was not on the Viennese pianos on, of the time. So, uh, 
Then just the end of this movement. Uh, you see, he's always enjoying every time he can play this low E. It's like a new toy for a child. Opus 101, and now I have the great pleasure, but the, the difficulty, to talk about the Hammerklavier Sonata. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.